Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc. Or you can join us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m. Hey, today we're going to dive into a second part of uh, two weeks together that we've been walking through in our Life Journal reading plan. Uh, Life Journal is something that we've been walking through together as a family in 2018. At the very beginning of this year, we did a message on the very first Sunday of the year called Rooted. And here's what we said in that message. Um, The only way to live a secure and stable life in a very broken and chaotic world is to be someone who is consistently engaged or consistently rooted in God's truth. I think we can all agree that we all live in a broken and chaotic world. And what I know is, without even knowing everybody in the room today, what I know is that at some point, perhaps for many of you, at some point in the first half of 2018, as we walk into the back half of the year, life has blown up. Maybe that's why you're here today, because things have gotten shaky in your marriage or with your kids or your parents or with your job or your finances. I mean, life shakes us. And what we believe is a house is the only way to find a secure and stable life in a very unsecure world is to root your life, to build your life on the foundation of God's unchanging word. Here's what scripture would say itself. Isaiah 40 verse 8, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. In other words, when life shakes us, and it will, the Word of God is the only secure, unchanging thing worth rooting and connecting our life to. And so to be a person who can live that kind of life, a secure and stable life in a shaken world, we connect ourselves to God's Word. And so the the Life Journal reading plan is just a, a simple avenue for us to collectively, as a big old spiritual family, to do that together. And so for some of you, maybe at some point in the year in January, you jumped in, you were doing really good, and then February happened, and then March, and then you can't even find your pamphlet anymore. All right, maybe that's some of you. Listen to me. It's okay, man. Don't sweat that. Jump back in. Begin to root your life again in the truth of God's word. For some of you, you have no idea what the life journal is. You're like, I don't even know what you're talking about, okay? I mean, you have an opportunity to jump in with us as we step into July to root your life in God's word. You can stop by Info Services today. We've got free copies of our reading plan. There's a new Testament plan or a full Bible plan if you want to go for all of it. We've got a life journal to help you walk through that. Or you can hop on our website and there's a way to download a digital copy of the plan and even use the free Bible app um, just so that you can track along with where we're going to be. But we've, there's so much importance in rooting our life to that truth of Scripture. If you have a copy of Scripture today, go ahead and open up to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 is going to be back half of your Bible, about halfway through the back half. Um, Titus 3 is our New Testament reading plan uh, passage for today. And so we're going to spend some time in that. If you don't have a copy of Scripture, then we will put the verses up behind me for you to follow along. I'll be reading from the NIV version. Today we're going to be in Titus 3 in a message I really believe is important for everybody in the house. So it doesn't really matter where you walked in today in your spiritual journey. For some of you, you've been following maybe God for five years or five decades. Okay, the message today is going to be for you. For some of you, man, you're kind of brand new to faith and you're just starting in this relationship with Jesus. It's going to be for you today too. And maybe for some of you today, you walked in today, maybe for the very first time because life broke or it blew up and you came just looking for answers. I mean, today the message is going to be for you as well as we dive into Titus chapter 3. Now, I want to go ahead and give you um, some outline of where we're going. Okay, today we're going to start with a very dim all right, reality of who we are. That's where we're going to start. We're going to see an amazing picture of God's grace. And then by the end of the day, we're going to flip everything upside down. It's just going to be a lot of fun, okay? Titus chapter 3, verse 3. Let's pick up and read there together. It says, At one time, we too were foolish. 
We were disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Scripture says all of us, nobody excluded, have been marked by foolishness, disobedience, enslavement to passions and pleasures, malice, envy, and hatred. No, I told you, starting with a pretty dim, okay, but true reality of a picture of who we are at our core as a people. Now, maybe you're not fully into that. You're not agreeing with that. So let's lay it out this way, okay? Walk through each one of these. Foolish, okay? Have you ever been a teenager before? All right, you've been foolish. Check, okay? Disobedient. Have you ever been a child? Yes, we all had to walk through that. So certainly you've been disobedient. Um, Enslaved by passions and pleasures. Um, Have you ever drank too much, spent too much, or done too much in a relationship? You know what God's designed for you? Okay, check mark. We won't make you raise your hand. Malice. Malice, have you ever had someone cut you off in traffic or take the last parking spot at Walmart? All right, malice. Malice is the desire to do evil. You don't have to lay out what you were planning to do, but you've been there, all right? Envy, envy, have you ever scrolled through Facebook and thought, I wish that was my life? Check mark on envy. Hated and hating one another. That's kind of strong, hated and hating one another. Well, have you ever had a sibling? Ever had somebody tick you off at work? All right, ever had someone break up with you or maybe just had your team lose the egg bowl? All right, chances are you've had a hated or hating feeling towards somebody. Now we can laugh about it that way, but listen to me. Here's the point today. No matter matter how many times you've been to church or how few times you've been to church, the truth is at our core, we have a sinful, rebellious, wicked heart. All right, we are a sinful people. And here's what Paul would say earlier in the New Testament in Ephesians 2, verse 2. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, verse 2, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. In other words, we are not only marked by sin, but it's much worse than we think. It's much worse than being bad because Ephesians 2 said sin makes us dead, separating us from God. The other day, I walked into my house after cutting the grass outside when it was like, I think it was about 167 degrees, and I walked into the house in the laundry room. My wife is one room over in the kitchen, and as soon as I stepped into the house, I heard my wife say, oh, goodness, and I thought, oh, man, like she like cut herself or she broke something or she dropped something. I was like, babe, what is it? And she goes, no, no, no. She's like, it's you. You smell terrible, to which I took great offense to. And so as I walked, just walked through the kitchen, grabbing some water for my dehydrated self, working so hard outside, I grabbed some water on my way to the shower. I wasn't camping out on my way to the shower. As I stopped, she literally leaves the room because she said, I cannot be in this room with you smelling like you smell. And in that moment, I had not smelled myself yet, but I was highly offended because this is my bride who told me she was going to be with me for better or for worse, right? And in this moment, she's bailing on me. Now, listen to me. I think it's the same way with the sin in our heart. See, what we realize is it's much worse than we think. Because in, in our society, in our, in our personal justification, we have a way of downplaying our sin. We're like, well, yeah, I, sh- I, I cuss every once in a while, but it's, it's not around my wife or the kids. Or like, yeah, we sleep in every once in a while, miss church. Or there was that one bad decision I made way back in high school or college. But man, that's been a long time ago. And we downplay 
that sin in our life. But what Paul says here in Titus 3 is, man, that we were foolish, disobedient, malice, hated and hating one another. That's the reality of, of the brokenness inside of us. We are people marked by that. And God, Scripture says, cannot remain where there is sin. So that sin creates a separation, a death in us, where we are separated from God. And that's the reality that we all have to start with today, as dim and gloomy as that is. But praise God, it doesn't stop there. Go with me to verse 4. Titus chapter 3, verse 4 says this. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. Paul says, this is who we once were hated, envious, foolish, disobedient. But, but when the kindness and love of God appeared, he appeared. How, how did he appear? Well, if you read John 1, it says that the word God took on flesh in the form of Jesus. And he appeared among us. He became one of us, fully God, yet fully man. And when he appeared, Scripture says, he appeared with one main mission. Check this out. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, it says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Here it is, mission. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. God sent Jesus on a rescue mission for sinners. In other words, for all those people who are characterized by all that ugly back in verse 3, that was the people that Jesus came for. Parents, have you ever gotten so angry and frustrated with your kids? They've been so angry with them, right, right? Maybe they just blatantly disobeyed something that you told them multiple times to do, all right? Or maybe they broke something or ruined something or they embarrassed you by doing something that you certainly would have never done when you were a kid. And so, like, they, they just frustrated you, know, and so you go and you go to have this conversation and you, like, you're walking in, you like, this is going to be the worst punishment I've ever given out in the house, okay? And you're so mad. And you walk in and you sit down and you have that conversation. And maybe as you're having the conversation, like, they, they maybe smile a little bit or they're, they're a little kid and they, they sit on your lap as you're talking to them or maybe you look at that innocence in their eyes and all of a sudden that, that angry parent heart turns into a compassionate, soft parent heart and the meeting that was going to be so rough and tough, like it, it ends with a hug rather than you giving out the worst punishment that ever has been given in this house, right? See, I think Scripture says that's, that's a picture of God the Father's heart for you and me times a million, that he sees us in that brokenness and ugliness. And here's what Paul would say in Ephesians 2, 6, and 7. Look at this. It says, and God raised us up with Christ, and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, in order that in the coming ages, in the days to come, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Don't miss it. Expressed in his kindness. In his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. In other words, God as a father saw our rebellious hearts. He knew the punishment we deserved. But then in his kindness, he took the punishment from us and put it on his own boy. Maybe for some of you today, maybe you walk in and you just feel like God like lives in this constant place of just frustration and being agitated with you. Or maybe you just think that God's like just waiting on you to mess up again so he can strike you down. But what 
Scripture would tell us here is that God is a father with incredible, overwhelming kindness, and God gave his best for you and me when we were completely undeserving. He gave Jesus to take the punishment for us so that we would no longer be separated, that he would no longer have to leave the room. And then I love that Paul includes verse five. He says, we were saved not because of righteous things we have done. Church, here's what that means today. In other words, baptism doesn't save you. Church attendance doesn't save us. Tithing doesn't bring us salvation. Reading the Bible, serving doesn't save us. Yes, incredible, obedient, righteous acts, but not the basis of our salvation because Paul said, not because of righteous things that we had done. Instead, Titus says, verse chapter three, we are saved because of God's mercy. Because of mercy. I love this definition of mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Not getting what you deserve. It's kind of like that algebra test. Remember back in high school or maybe college that you, you totally forgot about, right? And so you certainly didn't study and you showed up the next day and you're like, oh no, we might have, this is skip day. Okay, we're going to stay in the bathroom for the next 90 minutes, right? But you went ahead and you took the test and you bombed it. I'm talking about like below freezing level bombing the test. But then you, then you found out that everybody did bad. And so the teacher curved the grade and they curved it in such a way that it took you from failing to barely passing, like just a little bit of passing, but it was enough. And so it counted. So you got to tell mom, no, I passed the test. Like, yeah, yeah, I was working hard, right? No, what you deserve was the F. But what the teacher gave you in mercy was the teacher allowed you to pass. You see, in our, in our sin, we have nothing that is deserving, but in mercy, we are saved. Scripture says we are saved not because of our good deeds, not because of who your parents were, not because of the church that you grew up in or all the good activities that you did or even how generous you've been. Mercy is the basis for salvation. God is the initiator in our relationship and we receive from him before we give anything back. He always goes first. And then Paul says, not only is God that good of a dad, that he would take the punishment from us. But then it says this, that he gives us good gifts. How good is that, Father? He gives us good gifts. Titus 3 tells us about them. Go back with me. Pick up verse 5. It says, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified, having been made right by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. The first gift that we see that we're given is the Holy Spirit, right? After Jesus' resurrection, is, he gets ready to ascend back to heaven. He says, I'm leaving, but God's a good father, so he's going to give you a helper in the form of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament, we see the arrival of this Holy Spirit. It becomes the third part of the Trinity, right? Father, Son, and Spirit. And in the rest of the New Testament, we read about the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, I want to show you a couple of verses. Romans 5 verse 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Romans 8 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Why? Because of his spirit who lives in you. 
Scripture says the Holy Spirit is the gift that is present in the life of every believer. What does the Holy Spirit do? Sometimes it's hard for us to comprehend. Well, Scripture says He gives us hope. He gives us instruction. He corrects us sometimes. He gives us insight into Scripture. In other words, right now, the Holy Spirit is bringing insight into His Word. And ultimately, Romans 8, 11 says He gives spiritual life to our earthly bodies. So the Holy Spirit's a gift from God available for those who have been saved. But there's another gift. Look back. Second gift we see, verse 7, that we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. See, in these days, perhaps even more than today, it meant something to be an heir. Like it was, it was awesome to be an heir because you not only got the physical possessions and resources of somebody, but you got the blessing and the promise that had been given to your ancestors. And so what Paul is saying here is that we are heirs, we're the recipients of not only the physical possessions of being in God, but we are, we are possessors of the gift of eternal life where sin is erased, death is conquered, and freedom is given. Look at what the New Testament says, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Look at this truth about our inheritance. Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, verse 4, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Through Jesus, we are made heirs of an inheritance, an unending promise of eternal life. Now, I know I'm preaching in the Bible Belt, and it would be easy to read that and go, like, yeah, that's good. Like, I've heard that before. Like, we're heirs. We get eternal life. Like, that's really good. But listen to me. We can't forget this, church. You remember where we were just like three verses ago? Foolish, disobedient, enslaved by passions and pleasures, malice, hated. That's who we were. And what Scripture tells us here is that God in His kindness looked at the most undeserving people in our ugly state. And because of the cross, because of Jesus, He wrote us into His will of blessing and promise the most undeserving people on the list that should go on the wheel. And Jesus said, I'll pick those. That's mercy. That's grace. That's the undeserved kindness of God extended to us. So listen to me today. If you walked into the room today, maybe you're watching this message later online. And for you, you walked in going like, man, if, I feel like if I could do enough good things, Maybe I can work my way back into God's favor. It's kind of been a rough couple of weeks, but man, I'm going to show back up at church and maybe that'll make God like me a little bit more. Or maybe you walked in today and you're going, man, because of what I walk in with, my story, my brokenness, there's no way I can work my way back to God. Would you hear me today? Your next step out of the truth from Titus 3 is to do this, to fall into God's mercy and grace. It's been extended to you to be saved, as verse 5 would say to trade in who you once were, to let go of verse 3, and to grab the hope of verse 5 and 6 and 7, that he has chosen you and he's redeemed you. So today, if you're, if you're not walking in a relationship in Christ, man, your next step is to be saved, to be saved. Now, here's what I know. There's a lot of people in the room who've been saved. You had that moment where you, you found and understood God's amazing grace, and you got the gift of the Holy Spirit, and you become an heir of the promise, and it's good. But can I tell you something? I told you the message was for you today too. 
There's some truth in Titus 3. There's a next step for all of us who are saved, who are in Christ. Look back with me, verse 8. Check this out. Titus 3, verse 8. Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Paul says those who have trusted in God, those who are in Christ, those who are saved, be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. So scripture says the next step of every person who's in Christ is to allow that Holy Spirit, remember the gift given to us, to flow through us and out of us in good works. Here's the statement today. If you write down anything, remember anything. This is it right here. Ready? A heart full of God's grace is a life full of good works. A heart full of God's grace is a life full of good works. Let's talk about that for a second. For the last five verses, right, we have read the incredible description of God's love and kindness. I'm trying to lay it out as clear and simple as possible. Man, this is who we once were, broken, foolish, disobedient, envious, malice, all that. And God as a good dad was like, "Uh uh-huh, they can't get themselves out. I'm coming. And I'm taking the punishment. I got it. Oh, and then let's give them some gifts. Let's give them the Holy Spirit. I'm still with them. Let's give them the uh, uh, heirs of the promise. Like it's coming, not just now, but it's promise for eternity. God's given all those things to us as a good dad. And verse 8 tells us that any heart changed by God's grace must become a life lived out through good works. In other words, the works don't earn the grace, but the works are response to the grace. Now, some of you need to catch that before we dig deeper, okay? The works don't earn the grace, but the works are response to the grace. And we may think, well, like, what good works, Paul? Like, you just told me I couldn't earn it. Like, what do you want me to do? So here's what I told you. Remember I told you at the beginning, we're gonna, by the end, we're going to take everything, flip it upside down. All right, here, here it comes, okay? For the last few minutes, we've read verses three through eight, but now I'm going to go backwards on you. Hang with me, type A's. I'm going back to verse one, and we're going to read verse one and two. Look with me again, Titus three, verse one and two. Here's what it says. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. In these first two verses, I think Paul gives us what I'm going to categorize today, Four good works, right? Heart full of God's grace, life full of good works. I'm gonna give you four that Paul lays out, okay? Take notes on these. Here's the first one. Paul says, to be subject to rulers and authorities by living in obedience to them. Here's what I know. Every one of us in the room, no matter how old, how young you are, how experienced, how inexperienced you are, all of us are subject to authority. All of us have a level of authority over us. Okay, kids, students in the room, you got authority over you. There's a mom, a dad, a parental guardian who's over you. You got teachers over you. You're gonna step back into that environment in about a month. Maybe you got a coach who's over you. Okay, adults, us too, all right? If, if you're an employee, all right, you have a boss who is over you. You have law enforcement and government who is over you in your community, your state, all right? You have spiritual authority who's over you in the church. We all have a call to submit ourselves, to subject ourselves to authority. Now, practical question. Here we go. You ready? Self-evaluation. How do you do, how are you at submitting yourself to the authority over you? How you doing with that? 
Paul says that's part of the life. It's overfilling with grace. Students, when your mom or dad ask you to do something around the house, or maybe when they ask you not to involve yourself in something that some other friends are doing that they just like, that's not good, how do you react to that? No, 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 no. Okay, how, what is it? Right? What about your coach, your teacher? When they push you some, practice harder or be more responsible in the classroom. Do you submit to that? What's your reaction to that? All right, adults, we're, remember, we're in too, okay? What about this? For all my working people in the house, all right, when your boss gives you an extra project to complete, when they, when they push you a little bit and say, hey, I think you could do a little better in this area, how do you respond to that? How do, how do you subject yourself to maybe spiritual authority within the church when, when they challenge you? What's your response? What about this? What, what about when you're speaking about all right, or reacting to law enforcement or government over you in your community? What's your language like in that moment? What's the attitude of your heart like in that moment? And scripture says that we have a call to submit to authority. Now, if you are living uh, thinking that you're above the rules, or you're like, man, I'm just kind of a free bird. Like, I know there's the rules, but I do my own thing over here. All right? Or maybe you're going, you know what? I'm, like, you're constantly talking negatively about the authority over you, whether it's to their face or behind their back. Listen to me. You're not living subject to authority. And Paul says that that would be out of the overflow of a heart that's overflowing with God's grace, that we would be subject to authority. Now, here's what I know. Listen to me. Submission is not a real popular word in our culture. It's not, because here's why, especially for guys. We're like, well, that makes me weak. Listen to me. Submission is not based on your personal abilities or value. Submission is based on your chosen perspective and position. A heart that's full of God's grace is able to go, hey, maybe God put authority over me so that he can begin to shape my spirit to be submissive. Here's what scripture says. First Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Scripture says, Submit to the authority placed over you. Now, listen to me. If they, if they call you to do something against God's word, against God's plan, then yes, as a believer, you stand in truth. But otherwise, you have a call to submit to authority. Now, let me just throw this one in there, okay? I have found that if you have trouble submitting to the earthly authority over you, maybe that's parents, maybe that's your boss, uh, maybe that's government, maybe that's spiritual authority. If you struggle with submitting to the earthly authority that God's put over you, then you're going to have a lot of trouble submitting to the heavenly authority that God is in your life. There's a direct correlation. Jesus was the ultimate model. He submitted to the Father's plan all the way through the cross. I'd have stopped way before that. So a heart full of God's grace overflows in good works. What is part of that? Submitting to authority. Second part, verse two, to be ready to do whatever is good to be ready to do whatever's good. First action required what? Submissive spirit. Second action requires a selfless spirit, a selfless spirit. I'm gonna go ahead and go there. I'm convinced that as Americans, I'm an American, all right, we are perhaps the most selfish or at least tied for the most selfish people on the planet. We are. We wake up, it's my money, it's my time, it's my job, it's my ability, it's my stuff. Mine, 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 mine. I just sound like the birds on Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. All right? Listen to me. Listen to me. What Scripture says is a heart full of grace is a life that will be ready 
to do whatever is good. In other words, as I read that, someone truly captured by God's grace wakes up, lives daily, check this out, not avoiding, but lives ready to use their time, their money, their resources, their energy, their stuff to impact and influence other people. That's what that says. And they do so with a heart not to bring them glory, not look at me, but go, man, look at my God. Here's what Matthew 5.16 says. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus was the ultimate example of good deeds, of doing whatever was good. Man, he would heal the sick, provide for the poor, made the lame to walk again, even raise the dead to life. Not for his glory, but for the glory of his Father. So heart full of God's grace, life full of good works, submit to authority, What's the second one? Man, I'm ready. Do whatever's good. Put it in front of me, God. I'm going to act today. Now, here's the third one. Y'all ready? Y'all still with me? Some of y'all are like, man, this is hard. All right, listen to me. Verse 2. Verse 2 says this one. Heart full of God's grace is someone who refuses to put others down through slander. Verse 2 says to slander no one. That's what the NIV says. The original word used here in the text where we read slander is the word blasphemio. That's a cool word. Let's say that together. Blasphemio. Good. You learned some Greek today. All right, listen to me. This word, here's what it means. It means to hurt the reputation of another person through your words. It means to destroy another person's name by speaking negative against them. Can I just go real truth for a second? All right, whether you give me permission or not, I got the microphone, so I'm talking. Okay, listen to me. We as a people, we as a people get this wrong far too often. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about in the church. Okay? Sometimes it's intentional. I mean it. Sometimes it's unintentional. You don't even realize it, but it's happening. It's coming out of you. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you three very practical rules that I hope help all of us, okay, me included, on how to protect ourselves in the area of slander. So if you write this on down, type it on your phone, write it on your notepad, back of the communication card, here's, no, here's number one. Don't believe everything you hear or read. Don't believe everything you hear or read. You cannot believe everything other people tell you or everything you read on Facebook or online. You can't. Students, listen to me. This counts for you too. I'm not just talking to mom and dad. That means what's posted about that that guy or that girl, that friend or that former friend or that relationship. You cannot believe everything you hear or read. You need to have a trusted friend, a trusted source who loves Jesus and loves you to run that stuff through before you buy into something. We are guilty of judging from a distance something we know nothing about. All right? So number one, don't believe everything you hear or read. Number two, don't say everything you think. Don't say everything. Some of you laughing like that's you. If you have a habit, listen to me. If you have a habit of thinking something, and I like to call it diarrhea of the mouth. If you have a habit of thinking something, and then you got to go tell somebody, here's my action for you. You ready? Stop it. Write that down. S-T-O-P-I-T. Stop it. Don't do it no more. Because listen to me, seriously. If you have a habit, okay, of when you think something, it's got to come out here. You got to go tell somebody, here's what's going to happen. Slander is bound to happen. Because somebody's going to frustrate you. We're in a sinful, broken world, and you're sinful and broken too. Somebody's going to frustrate you. They're going to tick you off. They're going to push your button, and you know what you're going to do? You can go run and find the next person that you can tell why. So you make yourself feel better. So somebody can partner with you. Okay. Here's what scripture says about that. Proverbs 29, verse 20. Look at it. Do you see someone who speaks in haste? 
in parentheses, you can't really see it there. It's invisible in your Bible, but it says anyone who has to say everything they think. That's what it says. There is more hope for a fool than for them. I didn't say that. God's word said that. Can we just all agree one of the places that people today show themselves to be the most foolish is on social media? Please hear me. Just because your boss pushed your button or the restaurant did not give you the service that you desired or that person cut you off in traffic or the other parent at the daycare or the playground or the restaurant don't take care of their kid like you take care of your kid. Listen to me. Doesn't mean you need to post it on social media. Amen? That's the loudest y'all been all day right there. Now, I'm going to ask everybody in the room to raise their right hand right here. If you don't, I'm calling you up here. Are you going to stand away from me? Everybody in the room, raise your right hand right here. And I want you to repeat after me. I promise I will not, for any reason under the sun, make a post while I am angry. Very good. You, you promised it now. Listen to me. Listen to me. Get frustrated. Yeah, you will. We all do. But you got to take it to social media. You know what happens there? You look a fool and it does no good for anyone. Don't say everything you think or post everything you think. Here's the last one. Don't repeat everything you're told. Just like you can't believe everything you read or hear, you definitely cannot repeat everything you're told. That's called gossip. And scripture has some very direct truth to talk about that as well, but I don't have time to dive into it. Sometimes when people tell you something, or you read something, you know what you need to do? You just need to smile, you need to nod, and then you need to forget it. But whatever you do, don't repeat it. Don't repeat everything you're told. A heart full of grace is a life full of good works, including refusing to slander others through your words. I got one more. Here's number four. Verse two says, be peaceable toward everyone. Be peaceable toward everyone. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, Isaiah the prophet said this, God's going to send a son and we're going to call him wonderful counselor, everlasting father, mighty God. And he's going to be the prince of what? Peace. That he would bring peace not only to the Jew and Gentile people, would he reconcile them, but he's bringing peace for you and me. All that ugly, nasty stuff from verse three that separated us from God. He's bringing peace to that. Peace over sin, peace over death. He's going to reunite us with God. Jesus was a peacemaker. He was a peace bringer. He stood for truth, but he was a peacemaker. Again, self-evaluation. Can I ask you something? Can your attitude, your personality, your character, mom, dad, student, single parent, could it be described as a peacemaker? As a peace bringer? Fellas, let's go here. When you get home from work, that long day of work, well, no doubt, man, you, you worked hard for the family. When you walk in the door, are you a peace bringer to your household? Or do your wife and kids run and hide because they don't know what's going to come out of you. You a peace bringer? Ladies, wives, are you a peace bringer to your marriage? Are you a peace bringer to your marriage? Or do you spend so much time criticizing and putting down your man that he can't even figure out what peace is? Students, kids, listen to me. Are you a peace bringer in your household? You're young, but you have a role to be a peace bringer, to be a peacemaker. Or do you spend so much time being disobedient and disrespectful to mom or dad that the only thing that exists in your household is tension? Be a peace bringer. What about my working force in the room? Are you a peace bringer at your workplace, your job site, your classroom, your office, your cubicle, wherever you are? Are you a, are you a peace bringer? Or do people not want to be put on a project with you because it's constantly putting down the authority over you 
or stirring up tension or conflict? Are you a peace bringer? Scripture says that Jesus was a peacemaker. He's a peace bringer. And if we got a heart that's overflowing with his grace in us, truly changed by him, we're going to bring peace too. It's going to be part of who we are. A heart that is redeemed, that's new, that's full of God's grace is, it is a life that is full of good works. It comes out of us. We're subject to authority. We're ready to do whatever is good. We're not going to slander and we're going to always promote peace. Now listen to me. See, the reason that I flipped everything upside down today, the reason I I got it all out of order and we read verses one and two last, here's why. Because I wanted your perspective to be set on God's grace before your life was challenged with good works. Why? Because a heart that's full of God's grace is then ready to be a life that's full of good works. As I prepared for today, here's what I thought. Man, it would be really easy to read those lists of good works. Like if we'd have just gone verses one and two today, and I just come hard like that, all verses one and two, it would have been really easy to look at that list that Paul made and go, I don't really like that list. Be peaceable with other people. Do you know what they've done to me? No, man, I'm not choosing peace. Man, sometimes people talk about me. They got stuff to say. You don't have no idea what they've said and done to me. Slander? Yeah, I deserve to take a little bit of a shot back. Be ready to do whatever's good. Man, do you know how much stuff I got going on in me? How many things I got? I got to take care of me first. Subject to authority. I don't even like my boss. I don't even like the authority put over me. I can't stand my parents. Be subject to them? (laughs) No. It would have been so easy for us to read verses one and two and think, I'm not doing that list. But can I tell you something? It would have been really easy for God the Father to look at you and me in our rebellious, sinful, envious, malice, hatred heart, unable to save ourselves. Remember, we couldn't get out. It would have been really easy to just leave us there. In fact, it would have made sense because it's what we deserved. But, but God in his kindness to you and to me, he didn't do that. No, he didn't do that. But he saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, not because of any good in us, not because of the spiritual resume that we presented, but he saved us because he is a God full of love, full of mercy, and full of grace. So how, church, how? How could we not respond to that good grace with a life that overflows in good works? Would you pray with me? Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.